0: For our scripture reading this evening, we turn to the last chapter of the book of John. John chapter 21. We'll begin reading with verse 12, which speaks of the risen Jesus Christ sharing in a meal that He provides for His disciples by the Sea of Galilee. And He has some final instruction for them, and especially Peter. Jesus saith unto them, Come and dine. none of the disciples durst ask Him, Who art thou? Knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus then cometh and taketh bread, And giveth them and fish likewise this is now the third time that Jesus showed himself to his disciples after that he was risen from the dead so when they had dined Jesus saith to Simon Peter Simon son of Jonah lovest thou me more than these he saith unto him yea Lord thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my lambs. He saith to him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonah, lovest thou me? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my sheep. He saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah lovest thou me Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time lovest thou me and he said unto him Lord thou knowest all things thou knowest that I love thee Jesus saith unto him feed my sheep verily verily I say unto thee when thou wast young thou girdest thyself and walkest whither thou wouldest, but when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thine hands, and another shall gird thee and carry thee whither thou wouldest not. This spake he, signifying by what death he should glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he saith unto him, Follow me. Then Peter, turning about, seeth the disciple whom Jesus loved, following, which also leaned on his breast at supper, and said, Lord, which is he that betrayeth thee? Peter, seeing him, saith to Jesus, Lord, and what shall this man do? Jesus saith unto him, If I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? Follow thou me. Then went this saying abroad among the brethren that that disciple should not die. Yet Jesus said not unto him he shall not die, but if I will that he tarry till I come, what is it that to thee? This is the disciple which testifieth of these things, and wrote these things. And we know that his testimony is true. And there are also many other things which Jesus did, the which... If they should be written, every one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. Amen. This evening, for our applicatory service, we're going to consider the instruction of the Heidelberg Catechism on the third petition, Lord's Day 49. which is the third petition, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. That is, grant that we and all men may renounce our own will, and without murmuring obey thy will, which is only good, that so everyone may attend to and perform the duties of his station and calling as willingly and faithfully as the angels do in heaven." Beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, I doubt that I could find a better applicatory text than this one. The petition in the Lord's Prayer, Thy will be done. There is a connection, of course, in the Lord's Prayer itself Our Lord, the very Lord who gave his life so that we might actually eat and drink him, which we did by faith this morning, is the Lord who taught us to pray and gave us these first three petitions that concern God, and there's a relationship between them. There's a relationship not only with the requirements of prayer, what constitutes true prayer as opposed to false prayer. Prayer must be honest. Prayer must be humble. And a prayer must be by faith. And those three qualities of prayer are certainly evident and would show themselves in the first three petitions which concern God God's name and God's kingdom and God's will now and there's a relationship between these three petitions the idea is that they build on one another God's name is hallowed by his kingdom coming and his kingdom comes by his will being done But there is also a close relationship between this petition and what we ask and the Lord's Supper. That relationship is seen and visible even as we examined ourselves prior to the supper. We were called to examine ourselves even as we sat anticipating the supper in only a few moments. When one of the things that we examined ourselves... Was with regard to our desire to do the will of God. That's really the reference when we were to examine our conscience whether we purpose henceforth to show true thankfulness to God in our whole life and to walk uprightly before Him. We were to do that even before we ate and drank but it's also related to participation itself which is why we have an applicatory service and the applicatory service generally has to do with how now shall we live being strengthened, being lifted up, being fed by our Lord Jesus Christ. What's the result? What's the blessedness? What's our calling? How shall we live before God? And the answer in sum is simply this, obey God's will, do his will, or to put it in terms of the passage that we read, as he spoke it to Peter, feed my lambs, feed my sheep. That was the Lord coming to Peter as a fisher of men, as a minister and saying in minister terms according to his work do my will my will is that lambs and feet be she- uh, sheep be fed and that's done of course through the preaching of the word and the administration of the sacrament and the Lord put it even more succinctly simply follow me if you love me follow me Or to put it in terms of this petition, do the will of God. But the Lord comes to us and says, make that your prayer. Don't think that you can even go away from the Lord's table and just do the will of God. Pray for that. Make it your prayer. So we'll consider this evening this prayer for God's will, the prayer for God's will and We notice, again, as the pattern we've been following for what we pray. Number two, how does God answer that or grant that prayer? And then finally, why we ask. This is a prayer for God's will. It concerns God's will. And it's worth stopping and pausing and meditating upon the Word of God concerning God's own will. But just as when we considered the petition for God's name, it's important for us to know what it is we're talking about when we pray for the name of God. What is that concern? And we learned that that is a reference to however God reveals Himself. That God reveals Himself by His name, God reveals Himself in all His words and all of His works. They are His name. God reveals Himself, especially through our Lord Jesus Christ. So it's a prayer concerning Him. And it's a prayer that name be hallowed, sanctified, lifted up, separated from all that is earthly and worldly. And the glory that is due unto that name be given. Then we prayed for God's kingdom when we considered what that was. What is it when we pray for God's kingdom, when we pray that it come? And we notice that's a reference to the church. The church is the kingdom of God. And we're praying that God's name be hallowed in the church. God's name is hallowed as the church comes As the church is gathered, as the church is defended, as the church is preserved, as the church is revealed in this world, as the church spreads, as the church preaches the holy gospel, and then we pray, thy will be done. And that, of course, concerns the other two. And that's going to help us understand exactly what we're praying for, but there ought to be a hint already there that this prayer is about the will of God in a very specific sense. Not without leaving the other behind, without not considering the entirety of God's will, but in a very specific sense. And that sense must have to do with the church, the people of God, the kingdom of God, its coming. Even as the name of God is hallowed, as the church grows and increases so also the church grows and increases and comes to perfection by God's will being done. These things are all connected. But even as we did with the other two petitions, we stop for a minute and we say, "What? what, what is it about the will of God that's so important that we pray about it? And it's even, we may say, a special that we do that with god's will because we might be tempted to say well if there's one thing we don't have to pray about it's god's will being done that's a similar argument that we considered with regard to the name of god and the kingdom of god and again it's worth pausing to take note that jesus our lord commanded us to pray about these things and that doesn't seem to make sense if we know who and what god is God's name is already holy. It's already sanctified. It's already glorified. It's already the wonderful, wonderful name. Why do we have to pray that it be hallowed? God's kingdom is going to come. God's kingdom will come. Why does God need for us to pray? Is God dependent upon us and our puny little prayers to make his kingdom come? And we saw that Indeed, there is a reason to pray, and also with regard to God's will now. In fact, if you look at the three, you might say if there's one thing that's most sure, it's God's will. And yet we pray. Now, it's worth pausing a moment to consider that our God even has a will. Our God... Jehovah God, the one true God, is not some power, some impersonal power, some force. We can tend to look at God that way. In fact, we can even look at the things that are done according to His will that way. We can disconnect what is being done, and by which we might even acknowledge It's occurring by God's will, and yet, and yet, not do it justice. In fact, we may say that we have a will only because our God has a will. That's God's plan, that's God's desires, it's His good pleasure, it's His counsel all words the Bible uses for very much the same thing, all emphasizing a slightly different aspect of God's will. His will is a counsel that is something that He decides within Himself. God, the God of three persons, as it were, in human terms, puts His head together and considers and consults. It's not done it's not considered it's not planned as it were abruptly or without thought what God does is his good pleasure that which he loves to do which he delights in doing consider just those things for a moment just those things right there that when a a storm breaks And it ruins your golf game. It's something that God had planned. And it was something that was good to Him. When you become sick and ill and causes you pain and grief that's almost impossible to express, it's God's plan and His good pleasure that's the will we're praying about. This will of God is something precious to Him. It is what He wants to do. It's usually not what you want Him to do, it's what He wants to do. And if you doubt me on that, simply consider how you think about your own will. There's few things more precious to us than our own will. We learn that very early on with our children when they begin to fight over whose will is supreme, whose will is being accomplished and being done. Two siblings go at it, or mother goes at it with a child over the will. Because we love our will. Our love, our will is an expression of what we love, what we think is important. Well, we're just a bunch of sinners. Imagine God. And then consider the immensity of God's will. You and I can hardly plan with our will more than a few steps, a few things. We we can make some plans for the future, but we can't consider all the eventualities we can't consider all the things even that God can do to ruin our plans to change our plans we tend to think and include in our will only those things that pertain to us we might we might add our spouse and our children if we're caring and loving spouses fathers or mothers and our people in the church but generally our wills are pretty self-centered, pretty small, but imagine and think about God's will. Think of all of human history, think of every microsecond of that history, think of all the events that are going on just this split second, and at what, if you could pause human history All the things that are about to occur in the next split second. And not only has God planned that, think about the plans. Think about our God and what's contained in that will. Just the disease that you have. Think about all the things that are in the will of God pertaining to that disease in your body That concerns some bacteria or viruses. Immense, glorious, wonderful, precious is God's will. And then consider that it all has a purpose or an end, a goal. We don't even really recognize that someone is using their will. Or behaving rationally if we simply do things that's what we say is what crazy people do or people who can't control their emotions who are sporadic and spastic we say God has a plan a one plan one purpose Everything. There might be, seem to be a million plans and a billion things going on. We might imagine that God has a certain will for the stars and another one for the earth. A certain will for the angels and another one for human beings. And then we break human. We, we imagine them all as disconnected. We can hardly connect together the events in our own life. They seem haphazard. They seem to go on just by chance. And we considered some of these things when we considered Lord's Day 10 if you remember under providence. But we need to be reminded that everything that God does has a purpose and a plan one. And if you wanted to summarize what it is, it pertains really even to God's will. It's that His will be done. Do you understand that the innumerable things that God has planned, whether they be about worms and bugs or kings and princes, that every single thing will be done exactly as God has planned, and if not, He is not God. That's what's so horrible about the doctrine that God wills or desires the salvation of all men, that that is in His plan, that that's God's purpose, that that's what God wants. But it doesn't happen. Of course it doesn't happen. It's not really what God wills, but it doesn't happen. And if it doesn't happen... God is no longer God. But then something is more powerful than His will, His desire something is greater than God, which we ought to recognize, because we all recognize it with one another who will win the battle of the wills, the mother or the child. That's what we're praying for. That's what we're praying for broadly. We're praying for something that is a part of God's being. It's who He is. And something that pertains to God so intimately that if not done, God is not God. Think about that next time you become disgusted or disillusioned with the will of God. And then quickly move on. To understand this is precisely why we pray thy will be done and understand very clearly what you're praying that is a prayer about God's will and God's will alone and remember furthermore that it's tied to the name of God being hallowed and his kingdom coming or the perfection of the church Now, having said that, even more specifically, which our fathers make absolutely clear, the will that we are talking about, not as if there's two wills of God, but a specific aspect of God's will, is the will of God that He reveals to rational, moral creatures in the form of commandments. The will of God concerning our life. The will of God concerning what we ought to do. The will of God whereby we are called and commanded to do things which when we do not do them, we sin against God and His commandment. We sin against that revealed will of God, that command to us. That's clear from the Heidelberg Catechism itself. And we can be thankful it's there. We can be thankful that our fathers did not erroneously say, the only thing we're praying for here is that God's will be done with regard to my life. That God's plan be carried out. That what God has planned for the universe, what God has planned for this world, what God has planned for the United States, what God has planned for my family and my life, that that be done. That that be carried out. Now that's important to pray about, to have in one's mind to consider, but that's not the petition here. And as our fathers point out, that's evident by what's added thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven in other words when we make the petition we are to go to heaven we're to be transported to heaven to look around and ask the question now where is God's will being done Now if you simply look at the petition from the terms of God's decree, of what God has planned, His eternal counsel and good pleasure, why the will of God is being done on earth as it is in heaven already, it's all being carried out according to His plan. Does anybody want to stand here and say it's not? That somehow God is being frustrated, that somehow God's will that He has planned, that He has determined, is not being carried out to the finest detail by this almighty, omnipresent, all powerful God? Of course not. So, in what sense is the will of God done in heaven, whereas it's not done in earth? And so we pray that it be done. And the answer is with regard to obeying Him. And if we could go to heaven and observe for a few brief seconds another rational, moral creature, we would see the angels. And we would observe something that God, through Jesus Christ, is issuing command after command after command. Go here do this go protect that go battle against this go protect those are just a few of the things that we read in the scriptures the angels do remember the story about the prophet's servant who was doubting God's ability to preserve him and the prophet and the people of God And the prophet prayed that his eyes be opened and he looked around and he saw that they were surrounded by angels. Angels in all of their glory and power. Jesus said, lest anyone doubt his power, and especially doubt his willingness to go voluntarily to the cross, said to his own disciples that he didn't need their swords to fight for him. He didn't need that. And if that was the will of God for him, then he could have asked for legions of angels who would protect him far better than the sword of Peter. God, God commands the angels and they never falter, they never tire, they never do part of the will of God and leave something undone. Everything that He commands, second after second after second, is done exactly and precisely as He says it should be done. And if we were to go to heaven for a brief second, we would see that. If we could by faith open our eyes, we would see angels like the servant surrounding us. You would see them on the pulpit here tonight. You would see them in the pews. You would see them fluttering above you all according to the will of God. Not one angel doing its own thing, not one angel deciding to go where he wants to go. And the prayer is that God's will be done on earth, in earth, as it is in heaven. In other words, it is a prayer that we, the people of God, the church, obey God's commandments, God's commands to us as willingly and faithfully as the angels do. That's really what we're praying here. And it's worth noting that this is prayed for. Christ commands us to pray it. Even that is part of the will of God that we pray for. It's as if we're standing before God saying, O Lord, open my eyes so that I even see thy will be done. And I want that will to be done. Right there, all by itself, is an admission that God's will is not being done. Not only is his will not being done by the ungodly who take God's commandments and thrust them aside who mock and ridicule those, but even in the church where we confess to love God. Even as Peter, we can stand before the Lord and say, Yea, Lord, you know the heart, and you can look in my heart, and you can see and you know that I love thee. And yet Jesus will say, follow me and make this prayer. And the child of God will want to make this prayer exactly because he recognizes, though he loves God, he does not love God with all his heart, mind, soul, and strength as he ought. And he desires that. Now, that's how, in general, we'll consider it a bit more specifically now that we expect God to answer this prayer. It's a prayer that we obey God's commandments and we'll keep it to 10. Do you understand the prayer? Do you understand the hypocrisy? Do you understand the dishonesty when we're busy disobeying the commandments of God, willingly doing that, knowingly doing that, in such a way that we cannot answer the first question of self-examination with a yes, You understand that you can't make this prayer then. It may go forth from your lips, but it's not honest. It's not what we really want. That's part of disobeying God's will too, isn't it? That we recognize that we must pray this because there is always a part of us that says, I really don't want the will of God. I'm not interested in God's will being done. But that's not right, is it? When we come to the Lord's table and we partake as we do, do you not find within your heart being strengthened in your faith, your faith saying, God's will be done? Not just by others. Not just out there. Not just by the angels. Not just by force. Not just in the wind and the waves, but in my own heart. And keep in mind that implies that the child of God can do the will of God. Oh, he does it imperfectly. And we have to recognize that even as we recognize it with regard to the other two petitions. God's name is hallowed and yet we pray, hallowed be thy name. God's kingdom has come. In a very real sense, and yet we pray, thy kingdom come. It's not perfected yet. In making this prayer, God's will is being done. Because this is not a prayer that can be made any other way than by faith. It's part of the deliverance that we have from our Lord Jesus Christ. There's another way that God fulfills this prayer That when we pray, thy will be done, and God answers that prayer, you will find God grants to you the grace to actually obey him, to pray as he calls you to obey, to gather in his courts to worship and adore him, to love your neighbor as yourself. That is your deliverance. That is your salvation. It's what you cannot and could not do that God gives you in grants. But there's another aspect of it which is that we also submit to the plan and the decree of God concerning our life and our circumstances. Remember the other aspect of God's will, His plan, His decree, what He has ordained in His counsel. You see that pertains to us. We're included in that. And when we pray, thy will be done, we're asking God to give us the grace to submit to his will without murmuring and complaining that too should never be overlooked, that should never be attributed simply to the child of God in his own natural old man. No man... No earthly, physical, unregenerated man will ever submit to the will of God. And it's seen in so many ways, not only out there in the world, where man is continually grumbling and complaining and blaspheming and shaking his fist at God for all kinds of even little things. That's what lies behind the cursing and the swearing. Don't ever forget it. The cursing and the swearing, the D words and the F words that go out of their mouths are all directed at God. And they're all really things of disgust with God's will and God's way. And we do the same thing. We might not use the words and the language. But what frustrates us in our natural old man is the circumstances of life that God has planned for us, that He's laid out for us. That He's ordained for us. Oh, we may say all the right things when people ask. We may put a good front on and smile, but inwardly we're really angry at God. So again we pray, Thy will be done. And when we pray that, we're praying, Lord, humble me. Make me to see who I really am, that Thou art great and I am nothing. Thou art large and I'm small, that it's thy will that's important here, that needs to be done, that's good for me. And when that happens, and it does happen, if you want to see an example of the grace of God and the power of his salvation, observe the people of God in their distresses and sorrows as they're being sanctified. And you will see the people of God who don't really want to leave this life, who are given a wonderful life here in many cases and naturally would like to stay, confess, I want to go home. I've recognized that it's God's will that I not be cured of this disease. And I recognize that's not only God's will, as somebody who's stronger than me and will impose His will whether I like it or not, but I see that it's for my good. And that all my worries God will take care of. God will take care of all the things and the reasons and the excuses that I can give for staying. I see. I see although I wanted to be this kind of person and have this kind of personality and be given these kind of gifts that God did not give me, that that was good for me. And when that happens, recognize that that was God answering your prayer. When we make this prayer, we're also asking that every one of us carry out particular duties. We talked thus far about God's commandments, those things that God lays upon us all, but the Catechism recognizes that each of us are given specific duties. They're really extension of God's Ten Commandments, but as they apply to our particular office, and here it's good to remember that it's just not me and a few elders and deacons that hold office. We all have a station and calling And duties, that's referring to office. Might be a mother, might be a father, even a child has the duties of his station and calling. His station and calling is that he's child, and his calling is to behave as a godly child. And those you see in many ways are even the more important ones. A man or a woman could, I suppose, outwardly Imagine that they're keeping God's good commandments. They're not living openly in adultery or find that they love to steal and filled with covetousness that God has tempered and controlled them. He's sanctified in that regard, but doesn't recognize their office and calling that specifically God has given them a place in the world, a place in the church, a place in their family, a place that's specific in connection with everyone else. God has given them specific gifts, specific abilities, perhaps even has withheld a few gifts and abilities which make carrying out those duties more difficult, but yet they're there. And we make this prayer... That's what we're praying. I don't want to simply be a mother. I want to be a covenant. Godly mother. I don't want to be a mother like all other mothers. I want to be a mother who obeys God with regard to my children. Who doesn't simply feed and clothe them and take care of them and give them good gifts, but is able to gently correct who teaches and trains in the fear of God's name. That too belongs to the prayer. And then even more so, that we do all this without murmuring, without complaining, willingly, faithfully. And there too we recognize that's part of obeying the will of God, isn't it? Doing the will of God. We recognize that if our children our children are grumbling and complaining the whole time they're doing what we tell them to do, they're not really doing what we tell them to do. It's an expression of rebellion. And if unchecked and not dealt with, it'll lead to some bad things. There's trouble ahead if that's allowed to go on. In fact, we would rather have a child who is willing and faithfully attempts to do what we tell them to do, but fails miserably. You'd rather have that as a parent, wouldn't you? The child that really, really wants to listen and understands the importance of your will and the authority of your will, but struggles is weak. It's the same thing with regard to us also. And if there's one thing that points out why we need to make the prayer, it's that, without murmuring, without complaining. So there's another thing that God must do with regard to answering this prayer. It's included in the petition. It's included in what God does to answer our prayer, and that's to teach us a little bit about our own will versus His will. In the first place, God teaches us that His will is good. and the second place, teaches us our will isn't worth anything. And that's the truth. You see, our problem, beloved, is we think our will is the important thing. We always do. And before we go to heaven, before God has finished sanctifying us, Part of it all is he must teach us that our will is foolish. Our will can't plan ahead. Our will is powerless. Our will doesn't really even know what's good for us, and we have to learn that, and oftentimes the hard way. It also is partly the explanation why sometimes we endure what we endure. And it's related to the great truth that we considered this morning that God's anger is turned away. So that when there are evils and there are troubles, what we must see is God in love, answering our prayers, teaching us, Thy will be done includes, therefore, your own will, my child, my son or my daughter, is not going to be done. You must renounce your will. You must learn to actually say, I renounce, I don't want my will to be done. Now you understand that's exactly the opposite of everything that everyone teaches you. And sometimes we even learn this from our parents. We learn it from school teachers that everything's about your will. What do you want to do? What are you going to do with your life? What decisions are you going to make? When someone's sick, when this happens or that happens, we're we're all concerned about the individual's will and what they want and how we sympathize because, well, obviously, if we were in the position, we'd want this or we'd want that. And we have to actually renounce our will. And we're praying for that. We are praying, God, teach me to say no to myself. Do you ever say no to yourself? No. We're the last person we say no to. Yet the Christian has to live his life saying no. It might be no to a very wonderful career, it might be no to a very beautiful girl, it might be no to a football game on Sunday, it might be no to riches. It might be no to a a friend who's forsaken Jesus Christ. You see, that's the will we have to learn to say no to. Even no to my will that says, I'd really like to have this thorn in the flesh removed. That was what Paul wanted. You would think, well, that's reasonable. That's wonderful. But it was really foolish, it wasn't good for Paul. God knew what was good for Paul, and Paul had to learn what was good for him. Paul even came to realization why God perhaps allowed that thorn to remain in his flesh. But our will says, take the thorn out. It hurts. It hinders me. Our will could even appeal to noble motives. Take the thorn out of Paul's flesh. Otherwise, he's prevented from spreading the gospel. Look at all the good he's doing. Remember that, beloved, when we make this prayer... We're saying, no to my will. No to my will that might want that new car. No to my will that wants a bigger house. My no to my will that might not want another child or maybe wants another child. And let's not kid ourselves. How often do we actually make this prayer? Even not simply with regard to to obeying the commandments of God, but even with regard to His will. How many times really do we go to God and we ask God's will be done with regard to our life? Do you know how many people in the church never ask God, God, bring me a godly woman or husband for my spouse. That's what I want, because that's Thy will never even makes that simple, important prayer, but instead says, I'm going to go after what I want according to my will. And God might grant that with disastrous consequences because he has a child yet to teach to renounce their own will. So why do we pray this? Well, number one, because we love our Lord Jesus Christ. And our Lord Jesus Christ has commanded this is, this is what you must do. This is the way that you learn. This is the way I grant these things. This is the way I teach. This is the way I give. It's the way of blessedness. Why do we pray this? Because God has already taught us the importance of it. We pray this, beloved, because it is the will of God for us, and it's the will of God concerning how He grants that His will be done. Don't forget, beloved, perhaps not just simply when you're overcome by sickness or disease to pray rightly. Don't just pray, O Lord, heal me from my sickness and Thy will be done and don't really mean it. But also with regard to obeying God. Have you ever found yourself with no strength against sin, sin overwhelming and overcoming you? One of the reasons may be that you have, as we saw last Sunday, come to the Lord's table without repentance. And so you eat and drink damnation and trouble and sorrow another reason may be that you're not praying thy will be done and my will not be done this is the way God sanctifies us this is what he has given to us and he grants to us through faith amen let us pray O Lord, our God and Father, we thank Thee for our Lord Jesus Christ who has died, suffered and died for all of our sins, and who not only teaches us but strengthens us so that we may pray, Thy will be done. O Lord, put those words not only upon our lips but in our heart, that more and more we may receive what we have asked for. And do thy will as willingly and faithfully as do the angels. Lord, grant these things in Jesus' name. Amen.